Good morning once again. If you have your Bibles with you, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to spend some time together today. Uh, I know from a lot of folks, the Christmas reading, like if you read the Christmas story, let's say Christmas morning as a tradition, most folks start in Luke 2, where that we just read together this morning, uh, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Uh, but before Luke 2, there is this don't want to call it a prequel, but there is something of a, of a preface before we get into the heart of the Christmas story, and that's what we're going to do today. You also might look at Luke 1 and say, hey man, that's a lot of verses. It is, and we're going to do basically all of them, uh, but I, I promise it's going to be a good time. It's, a really, it's a, actually a really fun, compelling story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and their, uh, the interactions therein. So we're in week two of our Advent series, our Christmas series, and each week has a theme. Last week we talked about hope that we have, or as God's people had in, in past time, the hope of His coming. That Genesis 3 promise that we just sang about, that there is this serpent who has, who has come and he, he, through his temptation, sin enters the world, but immediately God gives the promise that there would be enmity between the offspring of the serpent and of the woman, but there would be one seed of the woman coming and he would make all things right. It's actually one of my favorite, probably is my favorite line from all the Lord of the Rings books, where Pippin asks Gandalf after particularly, some particular good news, and Pippin asks the question rhetorically, will all sad things be made untrue? And there was an implied, yeah, all sad things will be made untrue. And that's what we get to, to think about at Christmas. We get to think about Jesus coming to eventually make all things, all sad things Untrue, And so we have that hope, the hope of his coming to undo the curse of Genesis 3. And that leads us to week two. Week two is preparation. That There's a logical flow to, the, to these weeks. Because if you really do hope for something, if you really believe it's going to take place, then you prepare for it. Kids in here, you can, even, uh, you can recognize this. You have a great deal of hope for Christmas morning. You start to see presents and gifts under that tree. And some hope starts to build like you know it's coming. And you also see the preparation. There's, your house looks different. There's decorations. There is a tree up. There's a tree in your house. That's weird, right? We brought something from the outside to the inside. Things are starting to look we, uh, different around where, everywhere you go. There's lights up. You can see something must be coming. We have hope because we're preparing for it. This is normal in our, our own lives, the flow of life. When there's a, a wedding coming, we prepare. We have the hope of that day coming. And so invitations go out and a band gets booked and a venue gets booked. We get ready for it. The hope of a baby coming. We see, we see it happening. We go get a crib. A room gets decorated. You start making space. Preparations get made for the thing you hope for. I've given the illustration before, but uh, when I, my college years, dad lived overseas, and I, I could tell when he was coming home because mom wanted the house in a, in a fastidious particular way. Like she wanted me outside cutting the grass because dad's coming home. We want things to be ready. So there was the hope of his return, and so because we hope for his return, we prepare. And so... For week two, we have the hope of our Lord's return. What can we do to prepare for it? And we're going to see in Luke 1 today some options for that. I'm going to ask Pastor Doug to open us in prayer, and then we're going to get started. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the opportunity to come together today to hear your word. We pray truly that you will open our hearts and our minds to what you will say to us through the word of God preached to us. Prepare our hearts for this season. Let, let this time of year not simply be about our traditions and about the, the giving and receiving of gifts, but, but let it be centered upon that greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, 
in the flesh, he came uh, so that, that we would no longer have to confront death without hope. Amen. So that we would be able to, to live our lives with that expectation of standing before the holy, holy, holy God one day in righteousness. God, that's what this season reminds us of, of the gift that was given for us. And I pray that you will burn that into our hearts Amen. and help us to, to lead out of here people who are preparing for the second coming of Christ. Amen. Even just preparing to meet you face to face one day in our own death. God, ready our hearts to pursue the kingdom, ready our hearts to live out the holiness given to us, ready our hearts to lead our families toward Christ in this holiday season. Uh, ready us now to hear the word. Holy Spirit, move in our presence, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's good. Luke chapter 1. Let's get into the word today. We're going to start in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Let's stop there for just a second. So we have two, uh, two of our characters here, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they are walking faithfully. They're following the statutes of the Lord. You might even think of them like Abraham and Sarah. Abraham was following faithfully what the, the Lord had given them. And he is away from home right now. He's serving a term there in the temple. But these are two faithful followers of Yahweh, faithful followers of God. And in their now advanced in years, the decades they've been alive, they do have this one longing unfulfilled. In all of their faithful walking, they are childless. And it's a true curse in that culture to be childless, no one to carry on the name. The, some, some negative things would have been thought of, said about and thought about Elizabeth. There was a true, uh, a true curse to be childless in that culture. And so these faithful people of God are suffering from this childlessness. We go to verse 8. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. We'll pause there. We could get into some real depth here about what he was about to do. We go back to Exodus and see how this got started, but it's not an important part of our story today. You can't just know this. For Zechariah, an older guy, this is a, a ceremony that doesn't happen often. So to be chosen for it, this is a big deal. It actually is, we call it a career. This is the top of his career. He's about to do the most important thing he's ever done in his Career, He's been chosen to go into this place that's right outside the Holy of Holies, super close to the presence of God as these people wait outside, the expectant people of God who have had these centuries of silence. We just go back to Malachi, the last time a prophet of God was there where there was someone to come on the scene and say, thus says the Lord. And so now we have the people of God faithfully wanting, hoping for the, this Messiah to come and he's about to go in this honor this go in to offer this, uh, this, this incense offering. So verse 11, here's what happens when he goes in deep into the temple by himself. And there appeared to Zechariah an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel. 
And fear fell upon Zechariah. But the angel said to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he, John, will go before, the spirit, go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the people, make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Stop there for a second. I think it's important to imagine Zechariah's prayer, to imagine the emotion of it, his, his whole life. I mean, you typically got married pretty young then and, his whole life, this consistent longing, this prayer, Lord, we, we just want our own child. And he looks at the woman he loves and knows that she has, there's some scorn on her. She's probably being mocked, some negative things thought about her. Why would the Lord curse this woman in this way? What she's done. And he has this prayer, Lord, we just want a baby. That's what we want. We want our own child. And Zechariah is visited right outside the presence of God by an angelic being and the, the, the answer to him is, we, the Lord has heard that prayer, and you're going to get this thing that you have prayed patiently for. It's coming your way. And not only are you going to get this baby, he is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. The Holy Spirit's going to be on him from the very beginning. And even our, our theme this week, he's going to prepare the way of the, the people of the Lord for his coming. And so Zechariah gets unquestionably, this is great news. The longing of my heart for decades, the prayer I've had for decades, it's going to be answered. And so let's see how he responds to an angel in the temple as he's giving the altar of incense. He gets very good news. Let's see how he responds. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. A couple thoughts. This first one is fun here. Uh, you gotta got to love Zechariah for the euphemism about his wife. He says, I'm an old man, and she is uh, advanced in years. That's what she is. It doesn't, doesn't call her an old lady. But his, his, his attitude is, is immediately skepticism. How can I know this? How can I know it's true? How can I know the, the word God is giving me from an angel here in the temple, right outside the Holy of Holies? How can I know? And, you know, I want to, uh, I want to think down on Zechariah, but I know that's, that is often us too. It sounds about right that we hear from the word here in your, own, in your own personal time in Scripture. We hear in the songs we sing a lot of promises of God. We hear a lot from the Lord about what he's going to do. And I wonder how many times we just deeply believe it and how many times we are like Zechariah and we go, how can I know? How can I know for sure all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his service? How can I know for sure? This thing that's happening in my life that is so hard. How can I know, how can I know that promise is true about the, the circumstances of life? So I, I want to make fun of him, but I can't. I think I probably would act somewhat similarly. His reaction, though, is skepticism. I like to think we would all just celebrate, but I have to, under, I have to understand how he reacted. So then how does Gabriel react to that? So Gabriel comes on the scene. The Lord's going to answer your prayer. You're having a baby boy. It's going to be super special. Have the power of Elijah. The Holy Spirit's going to be with him. Zechariah says, I don't know. How, how can I know? Then let's see how Gabriel reacts to that. And the angel answered him, 
I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And so then verse 20, some consequences. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things, the birth of John the Baptist, takes place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I do understand Gabriel's reaction. Like, how do you not believe me? I mean, I'm an angel in the temple as you're offering the, 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 this instance. Like, just have some faith, man. It's, it's a good, it is a good lesson for us. I, I think out in the secular world, maybe you encounter this uh, from time to time, or maybe you will. Some folks say, I would believe. If the Lord would just do something miraculous, he would do something so powerful, it's obvious to me, then, then I would believe. Well, Zechariah is really good evidence. No, you wouldn't. No, that's not what would happen at all. That Jesus actually says that of a couple places that he did ministry in, uh, that they wanted all kinds of signs and wonders. And he says, I've given you all signs and, signs and wonders. That's not what you're, what you're looking for. And so this is a, a good le- it is a good lesson for us, that it is a, a trust, a faith that God calls us to, that it, it isn't uh, signs and wonders that we need. And then he gets some judgment. There's judgment on Zechariah. There's this lack of trust, this lack of faith. You will get nine months of silence. You won't be able to speak for, what, for your lack here of, of trust and faith in God. Now remember, all this is happening. No one's around. He's inside here, deep in the temple, right outside the holiest place. There are people waiting for him outside. And so let's see what happens as he goes outside uh, from offering this, this incense offering. Verse 21. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And Zechariah kept making signs to them, sign language, and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So Zechariah finishes his time in the temple, his service. He goes home to his wife Elizabeth, and she gets pregnant. Elizabeth gets two gifts here, essentially. She gets the gift of a, of a son coming, and she gets nine months of peace and quiet in her household. So we have, we, have this, we have this scene. We have this promise given. There's a boy coming. Here, here get your baby boy. And so hope is given. The angel gives hope to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so we know this. Now some preparation has to begin because they know a baby boy is coming. And now we come to a scene change. So keep Elizabeth and keep Zechariah in your mind. That's what's happened to them. They got a promise. And now they got to get ready for it. We come to scene two out of order. We have four scenes. Scene two starts in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, here he is again, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. We'll stop there for just a sec. What a weird way to start the story that's going to change the world. Uh, for him, well, the old contemporary Christian group, they have a song like that for Christmas called, This is Such a Strange Way to Save the World. And it really is. Uh, it's one thing to send an angel to Zechariah at the top of his career in the temple going to, to, to the altar of incense. It's one thing to send an angel to him. It is another to send an angel to Nazareth. It's a whole other thing to send an angel to a powerless, insignificant virgin teenage girl. 
And that's where God starts the story that changes the planet. I've, I did some work for you on this. Uh, the, uh, for, for Nazareth, there's a couple hundred people, maybe 300 people. That is the size of the people who live in Six Mile, South Carolina proper. Not the broader place, but like the, the city of Six Mile. This is where God sent somebody. And that's even not a good enough illustration because Six Mile, South Carolina is at least still close to like some other stuff. Like this is like taking those people and sending them in the middle of the desert somewhere in Arizona. Like that, that's where God sends an angel to a totally insignificant place, to a totally insignificant person. And he's come with another message. It's a very different scenario than what Zechariah had, but let's see what Gabriel has to say to this teenage girl. Verse 28, And Gabriel came to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And Gabriel said to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he, this Jesus, will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of Jesus' kingdom there will be no end. Now, at first, Mary doesn't actually respond at all. She's, I think, struck into some kind of silence. She doesn't even know what to make of it. And so Gabriel starts to unload on her a breathtaking promise. And I've thought about Mary's reaction as she's hearing this information. So Gabriel unloads. You're going to have a son. Well, that's cool. Great news. Awesome. I, this is, a, a, again, a blessing for this girl. I get to have a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. Like that name? Very popular. This is really good news. It's going really well. Also, Gabriel then says, you're going to have a son. His name's Jesus. He will be great. And then Mary gets to, the, gets to feel the, the, the pride of knowing, I will be the mother of a very significant young man. That's, that's great news. And then number four, and he will be called the son of the most high. I'm sorry, what? Like that, that fourth thing, what, what, is, what does that mean? I'm having the son of the, son of the most high, the son of God? Are, are, you, are you sure you have the right number? And then number five, he will sit on the throne of David, his father. He's going to reign over the people in a king in a, a king that doesn't end and a kingdom that doesn't end. And something has to be dawning on her that is saying, oh, so this is not just a son named Jesus who will be great. I'm about to mother the son of God, mother the, the, the Messiah that my people have been waiting for for generations, that the people have been waiting for since Genesis 3 when the promise was made. That's who I'm about to be the mother of. And she, you have to know, she knows her people's history and the great news of having a king and a kingdom that will not end. She knows that she has been through, her people have been through Saul and Solomon and David, and they had all their, their problems. And not only will this king not come to an end, not the other kings that had the northern and the southern kingdoms, but the kingdom itself will not end. There will not be any Babylon or Assyria. There is no enemy coming for it. He will set up a kingdom, and no one will ever get him or his kingdom. It will be forever. And then we get the simplicity of Mary's response. She has heard this incredible news. And I would love for you to contrast it with what Zechariah said. So he gets incredible news, and he says, How can I know this is true? Well, that's not how Mary responds. Let's take a look. In verse 34, how does Mary respond? And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, 
the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Don't miss the distinction there in verse 35, where, excuse me, verse 34, where Mary responds differently than Zechariah. Zechariah asks, How can I know this is true? Mary actually accepts it's all true. She hears an even more breathtaking promise and she gets. Yeah, totally get it. I'm having a son named Jesus. He'll be great. Son of the Most High. He's going to reign on his father David's throne. He's going to reign forever. A king of whose kingdom there shall be no end. Just one practical question. I'm a virgin. So how does this actually... That's all her question is. I accept it's going to happen. I just wondered how. I'm, I'm very curious. And she gets an answer. Well, God will do it. Through the Holy Spirit. Mary, if you're worried about who the, the father of your son is, it is God himself. You are having the Son of God. That's what Gabriel says there in verse 35. So where, then whereas Zechariah, Zechariah asks this skeptical question, how can I know this is true? She asks a question of faith. Oh, I believe it. How? Can you tell me more? And Zechariah got given silence, some kind of punishment for his lack of faith. But she's rewarded. She's rewarded with even more good news. It is as if Gabriel decides, you know what, I'm just going to keep lighting this up for you. There's actually your relative, Elizabeth, she's also having a baby. So there's two babies coming, you before your time, Mary, and Elizabeth after her time. You two are going to enjoy being moms together. And what an incredible promise this is, the joy of having, especially in that culture, we get to have our, our sons together with this, this relative she's close to. She gets this incredible news and Mary's faithful response is it's just so sweet. I have to imagine, in, as she's hearing this, she has to be thinking, there, this is going to be a hard conversation with my own parents. I have an unexplained pregnancy. I'm betrothed to Joseph. This is going to be hard. The people in this small little town here can't imagine what they're going to say about me. And in all of what could have been doubt and and some kind of strife internally, she just says, I am the servant of the Lord. Whatever you want. Because I trust you. what, What is mine is not mine. It's all yours. And if you were asking this of me, I just believe it's the best thing. And I'm choosing faith, choosing to trust. And so what an incredible promise and what an incredible response from her that she just says, I am the servant of the Lord. So we had first Gabriel and Zechariah, and then we, now we have Gabriel and Mary. We're going to have another scene change, so scene three now. I would quickly mention as we go into verse 39. So we've had two announcements, two hopes given, the hope of John coming to Zechariah and Elizabeth, the hope of Jesus coming to Mary. And so preparation must begin now that there's hope of these babies coming. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. To a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
So Mary gets this news. She takes it straight to her cousin. And how sweet is this? Two relatives, probably cousins, could be an aunt and, uh, and niece situation. And they're just celebrating each other, excited for each other of this great blessing they've been given. The prophecy, by the way, also the angel gave about John the Baptist, that the Holy Spirit would be with him even in the womb. It proves true here. He, John the Baptist, even in the womb, knowing Jesus is coming, leaps with joy at hearing the news of Mary's pregnancy. And they're just sweetly together celebrating this incredible time. Verse 43. But this is Elizabeth still speaking. It's, it's a key question. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's a, that's a sweet, humble heart from Elizabeth here. Her, her question is, why have I been blessed this way? There's no entitlement to her. She's, she seems utterly surprised that she keeps getting good things. I get my baby boy. I get to be visited by the mother of the one who would bear our Savior. This is an overwhelming joy. The promises of God being made, the promises of God being kept on the spot. We read in verse 56 that Mary stayed with her for three months. These two ladies enjoying this the season of life together and all this joy of it the joy of babies coming god keeping his promises blessing his people all that's about to lead in verse 46 to a very significant part of the new testament and the christmas season mary has a song come out of her all the joy of being with her relative these babies coming she just breaks into song historically it's called the magnificat and we're going to read that together verses 46 through 55 this is mary now just celebrating and exclaiming all the glories of the lord the promises being kept let's go to verse 46 mary said my soul magnifies the lord and my spirit rejoices in god my savior for god has looked on the, my humble estate the humble estate of his servant for behold from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring. There's a lot there we could break down. This actually could be its own sermon by itself, just the Magnificat. I just want to highlight a couple things. One is this. If you took this from here, here we are in Luke 1, and you go back centuries to 1 Samuel, we'll get to the book of 1 Samuel, there is another lady there. Her name is Hannah. And Hannah really wants a baby too. And she's praying for a baby. And she even says to the Lord, I'll dedicate this baby to temple service. Just send me, the, just send me a child. And if you look at the two songs, the song that Hannah sang, wanting her, her son after the son is granted, and the song that Mary sings, they are really similar. They're not, Mary's not necessarily quoting Hannah, but they are quite similar. And that leads me to know something about Mary. She knew her scriptures, even if they could, she probably couldn't even read. But the oral tradition of learning the stories of her people 
something in her in this moment goes, oh, I, I know celebrations like this. It's like when Hannah, it's like, it's like that, that story I heard growing up. You have to know Mary grew up hearing the stories of Sarah and of Ruth and of Esther and, and Hannah, these young Jewish girls. And in this moment of joy where what comes out of her is a biblical song. Man, I pray that's true of our kids, of our teenagers, that we have discipled well enough that in the moments of joy or in sadness that we have done enough Bible teaching that what comes up in the most emotional moments, well, let it be Scripture because that was it for Mary. She obviously was someone who had been taught her history of her people. She also talks about her, the humble estate, uh, her humble estate of being a servant. She, again, is she's emphasizing her role in this. Just from, the, just from the beginning, uh, when Gabriel comes to her, she says, I am the servant of the Lord. Here she says he looked on his, the humble estate of his servant. She is so open-handed. She knows her role. God is doing something. He's active. I, it just happens that he's decided to include me. But I am open to whatever the Lord done, has done. The only other thing I want to highlight here is the past tense of all these verbs. She's talking about all these things as if they've already happened, what the, the culmination of the Messiah coming would be. So you have the incredible faith of Mary believing what's coming to pass and the, a song much like Hannah sang, Hannah sang coming out of her. This is our last scene change. So we've had Mary and Gabriel, and they're, they're, excuse me, Zechariah and Gabriel as their first interaction, then Mary and Gabriel. Now we have, the, uh, we have Mary and Elizabeth together. And here we go to verse 57. It's time for John the Baptist to come on the scene. Verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with Elizabeth. And on the eighth day, the neighbors came to circumcise the child. And they would have called the child Zechariah, naming him after his father. But Elizabeth answered her neighbors and said, No, no, he shall be called John. Remember, that's what Gabriel said to name him. And they, the neighbors, said to Elizabeth, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they, the neighbors, made signs, sign language to Zechariah, inquiring to Zechariah, What do you want the child to be called? And Zechariah asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote down his name, the baby's name is John. And the neighbors all wondered. And immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And Zechariah spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all, or it's really all. And all came on all of their neighbors. And all these things, these events, were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard these things laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him. So we have this, this promise kept. We have the, the birth of this baby boy and what comes from it as they are, they're faithful to do what Gabriel said, name him John, the baby's there. Zechariah's lips are loosed. He, he can speak again. And that's how we're going to finish our time in the text today. Remember Zechariah, he started faithless. Gabriel comes to him as he's standing right to the door of the Holy of Holies and won't believe him. So now what Gabriel said would come to pass has come to pass. And there is something happening here in the, in the heart of Zechariah. Nine months of silence explodes into this. 
This is historically in the church called the Benedictus, the Benedictus of of Zechariah. We're going to read that to finish today, verses 67 through 79. Here's Zechariah and what he says after his son is born. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. I'm going to pause there for just one second. John Piper taught me this this week as I was reading uh, one of his writings about this. That um, the horn of salvation there, uh, that often meant something you would blow into to make some noise. Uh, but the historic understanding of this horn and the, the ending of the enemies is that this is the horn of some kind of beast. Think of a bull. That what is, what is being raised up here is something to go attack the enemy that cursed us. Uh, John Piper actually said he, has a, he ordered a painting of a, of a bull uh, all, uh, out in the distance. And what he has on one of his horns is a snake being, uh, being gored to death. That there's the horn of salvation has come to get the, get the snake, get the serpent that got to us. 72. To show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, his son now, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It sounds even here that Zechariah is talking a lot of the language that we got last week in Isaiah 9 about people who are walking in darkness near that shadow of death. And then we have the Prince of Peace. And he is pronouncing, you're going to come and prepare the ways of the one who will bring all that. In Gabriel's first prophecy, he said of this child, John, you will prepare the people. And now he says you will prepare the way of the Messiah coming. So that is our interactions with the the characters in the text. And we have three of them, and I'll, I'll surprise you with a fourth. There's three of them we see here, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary, and asking this question. What can we learn from them in this text that we we can take about our own preparation? As they prepared for God to keep his promises of their coming sons, what can we do, what can we learn from them about preparing our hearts for the hope of our coming king? Let's start there then with the silence and faith of Zechariah. The silence and faith of Zechariah, that's point, point one. Remember, he started this with a question of skepticism. How, how can I know what you're saying is true? And we, again, we start there a lot too. I think we can question, how, how can I know the Lord will keep his promises? How can I know what's happening right now is what actually is best? Because often what's happening doesn't feel like it's best, but we have this promise that the Lord is doing what is best for us. And so that's where he started, and the Lord... We can say punished him, but maybe also some punishments can be blessings and blessed him with nine months to think about what he had done. Nine months to think about the skepticism he showed. 
And the silence did him quite well. He came out of it, key, key thing here in verse 67, he came out of it filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesying. So we can say this of Zechariah. He had nine months of waiting for this hope to be realized, and he obviously didn't waste it. And it's obvious that he didn't waste it because of the change in him. He went from skepticism to this Benedictus, this song he's singing is also all in the past tense. He is saying even stuff that hasn't happened yet. I'm so sure the Lord is going to keep his promise. I'm going to talk about it as if it's already taken place. So my suspicion is that those nine months of being dumb, unable to speak, and probably also deaf, because it does say people are trying to do sign language to him, he used that in preparation. And what came out of him was all of that time of prayer, all that time in the scriptures. When it came time to explode, that's what came out of him. And I would challenge you with that. So he benefited greatly from the, from the discipline of solitude, the discipline of silence. And that's what I would challenge you with today. How do, you, how do I prepare? How do I prepare for the coming of my Lord? Well, we found that Zechariah found a lot of benefit from having some time in silence, some solitude, to focus on the, wor- to focus on the Word, to focus on his, his own heart, the, the, the flesh in him that needed to be rooted out. And this is in quite distinction to the world in which you're living. Our world is a hectic one. We have constant stimulation. Really, at this point, it is from womb to tomb. We are stimulated with something. Our devices call to us. There's always something on in the background. Those of you with kids, I can't imagine uh, how much stimulation is in your household. But what we do learn here from Zechariah is there is some real value in preparing yourself by fighting for some solitude, fighting for the discipline of silence, Because what often happens with all the noise is that this Holy Spirit that Zechariah gets, that's one of our ways of silencing the Holy Spirit, is let's fill up our time with stimulation constantly. Let's always have something on. And when that couldn't be for Zechariah, solitude and silence of nine months, what comes out is all that scripture and prayer that he had. So that's my first challenge for you. How can I prepare? How can we prepare for the coming of the Lord? Well, parents, I know this is particularly hard for you, but fight for it. Fight for the discipline of getting alone with the Lord, the silence of hearing the Holy Spirit, the silence and the solitude it takes to follow after Christ in both ways. That You do it in here, you do it uh, corporately, but also personally in that way. So number one is the silence and faith of Zechariah to prepare your heart for the coming of your king. Number two is what might be my favorite character in the story, is Elizabeth. So number two is the humility of Elizabeth. I just love her attitude. She, she just has the joy of Christmas all over this story. And I think she can have it. She could have this, this joy. And even asking that question, she asked, why is this granted to me? She has already the promise of her, her baby boy coming, but she is also getting visited by Mary. And what she, what she asks is, why do I get this good fortune? Why do I get that too? And consider how rare that has to be in our culture sometimes. Here is Elizabeth with her own exciting news. She wants to be celebrated for her own great news. And then young Mary comes on the scene. And she has some, some news that kind of trumps that news. Uh, so uh, virgin birth, miraculous. And instead of Elizabeth, as is often the case in this culture where people compete, they get mad at your good news because they have their own good news. And she just looks at Mary's good news and goes, this is awesome. How, how am I being included in this? I am so blessed. 
She has the joy of knowing she's being blessed. That also responds to the culture that you're in. The culture you're in says you are entitled to whatever you want. And if you didn't get what you want, then an injustice happened. A bad thing happened. And all Elizabeth lives in is everything I get is such a blessing. I'm so thankful for everything I get. How, how did I get so blessed? And so she has this humility that responds to our culture that says, don't you be humble. Get everything you want. Fight for everything you want. Be upset when you don't get the things you want. And she just has this humility of knowing, the Lord's been so good. Whatever I get, I get. And that is for a woman who could be so bitter. For decades of her life, she was maligned by the women around her. And now she has this attitude of, Everything's great. Everything's awesome because the Lord has blessed me and the Lord's come to me. And now I even get to celebrate with this young lady. I don't even, I don't have to hate her good news because of my good news. And we just celebrate. So you can prepare like Zechariah by finding the discipline of some silence and getting with the Lord, listening to the Holy Spirit. You can also prepare like Elizabeth and be humble. Embrace what the Lord has already given you. Recognize the blessings of the Lord and just live in that. Respond to this culture's idea of entitlement and just have joy for what the Lord has given you. Another key thing here, we're going to come to it more fully in a moment. It was after the Holy Spirit filled Zechariah that he did those things. It was Elizabeth, also in this, in this passage, is said to be filled with the Holy Spirit, her child filled with the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind, number three. We have the silence and faith of Zechariah, the humility of Elizabeth, and then the servanthood of Mary. The servanthood of Mary. Again, the song that she sang could have been very different. It could have been a really, a really messy, like, Jason Aldean country-type song where, like, I've, I'm pregnant. Uh, no one's going to believe me as to how that is the case. I have my betrothed. Got to have an uncomfortable conversation with, with Joseph, my parents, all the people around me. And instead of singing that very uncomfortable song, she just, my, my soul magnifies the Lord. What is, look at the blessing he's given me and uh, that he would look upon my humble estate. And he, she responds to Gabriel with, I'm just the servant of the Lord. And so the same way that there's, there's responses to the culture in these other two. Zechariah's story responds to you that says, hey, turn some stuff off. Don't be constantly stimulated. Elizabeth's story responds to you. Don't be so entitled. Don't expect so, so much from a broken world. Be happy with what the Lord has given you. And there's a response here to this culture of our self-reliance and our possessiveness. That what, what is ours is ours. It belongs to us, and we will do with it what we please. And Mary looks at her reputation, her coming marriage, her own motherhood timeline, her, what it might do to her family, and she just looks at all of it and says, it's not mine anyway. All that's mine belongs to you. Every, every, every little bit that she had, this almost impoverished girl on the back end of an empire, Everything I have is yours. And that responds to our possessiveness and our self-reliance. Prepare that way. Prepare by being open-handed. Lord, you've given me these kids. You've given me the spouse. You've given me this much money, this kind of job, this kind of influence. What do I do with it? What do you want me to do with it? Because it's all yours. It's not mine. But then also something we can learn from Mary. Again, when she had the chance to sing that song, she sang a song that sounded a lot like Scripture. She had a lot of Bible in that from her Old Testament. So that's another way for us to prepare, just like with Zechariah, is let's get the Scriptures. When we get cut, let us bleed Scripture. When we get squeezed, let, let's have what comes out of us, Scripture. Because that kept happening for Mary as well. So prepare like her in those two ways. 
Nothing is mine. All is his. I sh- I'm going to steward but my resources, family, reputation, time, everything the Lord has given me, I'm just a servant of the Lord. So there is the silence of Zechariah and getting some time in the Word and prayer alone, turning the culture off. There is the humility of Elizabeth, just knowing how much we've been blessed, not expecting anything from anybody. Number three, the servanthood of Mary, being open-handed with what we have. And I do want to give one more quick word. John the Baptist is a character in the story. And about 30 years after this, he comes on the scene Specifically, as this prophecy said, I'm I'm here to prepare the people and to prepare the way of the Lord. And his message was, repent. That was his his preparation. And he would give that to you today, and I do too. How do I prepare for the way of the Lord? Well, get into silence like Zechariah, certainly. Develop the humility of Elizabeth. Be a servant, minded with what you have like Mary, but also repent for the Lord is at hand. He is coming again. Let us be a people walking in repentance as we're going to come around the table of the Lord here in just a couple minutes. Be a people that walk in that discipline of repentance. Now, last two or three points. Some of you might feel some weight from this. And you say, man, the idea of getting silenced, that's going to be hard. The idea of rooting out in my own heart the entitlement that I I deserve what I deserve and just feeling blessed. The the idea of being open-handed with all of my resources and what the Lord has given me, that all sounds very hard. Yeah, it is. It's actually impossible. Those are works of the Spirit, not works of the flesh. In your flesh, you can't do it. You can't do it. But what we saw for all three of these characters is the Holy Spirit filled them. The Holy Spirit was with Mary, with Elizabeth, with Zechariah. And if you were here today and you have repented of your sin, you're following after Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you. Or you can find that silence. You can be someone who just feels the blessing of the Lord, the favor of the Lord, you know that you can be, you don't have to be self-reliant and possessive. You can be God-reliant and open-handed with all of your resources because you have the Holy Spirit too. So these aren't superhumans. Mary Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're just like us. But Holy Spirit empowered, and you are too. So, as you prepare for Christmas Day, now like 13 days away, something like that, as you prepare for that day with lights and presents, also prepare for your king coming and prepare by the discipline of silence in a very noisy world, by the humility of being blessed in a world that calls you to be entitled, by the recognition of your role as servant in a world that says everything you have is yours, and as John the Baptist called you to, by repenting before the Lord and receiving the forgiveness of the work of Christ that he came to do. I'm going to pray for us as I ask the band to come.